Everybody ready? Are you ready, sir? Do you need anything? All right, flick pow. This is easy. Yeah, sure. Um, the question is, how can you be a spiritual father if you've never had one? Um, at, at some point where you don't have one, um, you, you, one of two ways it happens. Um, one, you seek one out, all right? You seek one out and get one. I don't think you can be passive about that. I, I think you have to look for godly men who are farther along than you. In fact, the scriptures unpack it this way, that younger men should be in the lives of older men, that older, and where, where you see that divide occur, I think the faith gets a little retarded, where you don't have older men engaging younger men. Um, they tend to have a they tend to go off on their own and talk about the glory days. And then where you have younger men and no older men, younger men develop this arrogance that comes with being young. And, and so what happens when those two work together, you get a really beautiful dynamic. So I think you've got to seek one out. If there isn't one to be found, then you push headlong into Jesus Christ. You push headlong into the scriptures. You submit your life fully and you let God make you that man. Um, and those are the two ways I think it can take place. Look, look, man, most of us, we live in a, this father thing, man, it's, it's pandemic. It's global. This isn't, a, this isn't an urban problem, man. This is a Western issue where we've, whether suburbs or ghetto, we've been abandoned, suburbs or ghetto, dad's not around. Even if he is around in the suburbs, he's trying to live vicariously through you and get you to play freaking soccer all year long. So, it, I mean, this thing's a mess. We need, we need the power of the Holy Spirit in a real way to reclaim men. Uh, and so if you don't have a spiritual father, you find one. Or, you know, I, if I think of my own life, some of my spiritual fathers I never met. Some of my spiritual fathers I'm just getting to meet. They were guys who wrote books, guys I could listen to on uh, CD or in my day, tape. You know? And they were spiritual fathers from afar. Um, the world's a lot smaller for you in that regard, with podcasts, with email, with, you know, I, I think that's the two ways you've got to go about it. But I, once again, I, I don't think you can be passive on this one. I don't think you can wait around. How do you find the balance between overbearing chauvinism on one hand and cowardice, on the other hand. Um, I, you know, I can, I can answer this question for me. It's hard for me to answer this question for you because there's a lot of things at play. One, there's going to be no overbearing chauvinism because of the woman I married. Um, okay? Like, I didn't marry that girl. Like, even how I have to, I had to figure out how to lead my girl spiritually. Like, she does not want me to lead her like I lead the church. And if she smells that, it's, it just goes bad for me, man. So this is why, remember when I said, and even when I talked to you, that I hated books on Christian marriage because they were gospelless. Like, even, I got a good friend of mine. Every night he gets into bed with his wife, and he's like, baby, grab your Bible. She grabs her Bible, and they read a text together, and he just teaches her that text. 
Man, I'd get hurt if I got into our bed and said, baby, grab your Bible. I want to teach you something tonight. She's that's just going to, man, that's not my girl, man. That's not who I married. So I've had to figure out, I have a strong wife who is smarter than I am um, and who loves the Lord with a great deal of zeal. And, and so because I married that woman, this is not, this overbearing chauvinism is not an issue for me. Uh, I see her giftedness. I, I see what she's able to do. I see how God has gifted her. And now my role becomes to facilitate that as she facilitates what God's called me to do. He, here's what God had to correct in my thinking at home. Maybe this answers this. If it doesn't, just push and I'll keep talking. I viewed, here was a big problem in our marriage early on. I viewed my calling, all right, as our calling. So I needed Lauren to support me. I needed Lauren to help me. I needed Lauren to come through and certain things around the house for me because it was our calling. But on her front, it was her calling. So things around the house, cooking dinner, cleaning. So, so it, it's, it's our calling. I need you to help me. At home, it's your calling. If I have to help you with that, that's frustrating. And the Lord, man, blew me up on that one. So then life became our calling. And, and where she needs help, I want to help. And where I need help, she's going to help. And that's what, that's what happened. Then now you've got an actual helpmate there. And not a, you know, not a slave. So I, I, the overbearing chauvinism, not a problem. And this is probably why we fought so much, because cowardice isn't really my issue either. So I'm quick to speak, slow to think. Ten years of marriage has kind of backed that off a little bit, because that goes bad. But I think you have to have a biblical view of womanhood to go along with your biblical view of manhood, and that'll take care of that. That'll take care of that. You can't just have a biblical view of manhood without understanding the biblical view of what God's called your wife to be and how your relationship to work. So if you work on that too. Like I'm all about, you know, I used to joke when I was in, before I got married, I read a book. Um, it was, uh, oh, what was that book called, man? It, anyway, it was a book on, um, it was a book written to women on um, how to find a godly man. How to, and I'd read that, my friends were like, why are, you reading, why are you reading that book, man? That's a book for girls on how to find godly men. I was like, I'm trying to figure out what they're looking for, all right? I, I want to figure out what they're called to, what God asks of them, what the Bible tells them to do. Because I, I need to facilitate that. If God's asked me to be my wife's cover, I've got to facilitate her obedience as best I can. So, anyway. Oh, okay. Okay. What are some of the ways that the sufferings of Christ have overflowed into your life as a pastor? Um, you know, I, I think I, I, I think I covered some of that in my talk. I mean, my, if Christ on the cross is looking to the future glory, looking to adopted sons, looking to, if all of our sins were future sins in that moment, and he's looking back and forward at the same time, I, I mean, I just join with Paul, light momentary afflictions, light momentary afflictions, that's what they are. And man, I've been betrayed, and um, I've had to fire good friends, and I've had to, I mean, it's been, there have been some rough runs in this, but, but to me, I'm, I'm trying to keep my eye 
on the cup, man. I want to keep my eyes on the sacrifice of Christ that is my righteousness. I'm, I mean, to me, this is such a central tenet of faith. I don't want there to be a day that my eyes aren't on that cross. I don't want there to be a day that, because otherwise I'll forget. And I'm, I, I think like everybody else, I have some natural giftings. Like there are some things that come easy to me. There's some things that come hard to me, but there's some things that come easy to me. Well, at a church our size, let me tell you what happens as the church gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. As the church gets bigger and bigger and bigger, your roles become more defined. So six years ago, I was doing stuff I wasn't good at. I mean, I'm like the IT guy. I'm like, I don't know, fix it, you know. I'm setting up the chairs. I'm set. But as we've gotten bigger, I just kind of do my strengths now. Well, that, in the end, that's not all that good. And, and so I've got to constantly keep the cross in front of me just as a reminder. And, and then I, I think one of the greatest things, greatest studies you can ever get into is the suffering of men of God in the scriptures and the sustaining power of Christ into death and through it. And if you can, like I said, I think I covered this, if you keep your mind on the fact that everybody behind you suffered too and that was God's grace and love for them, then when it's your turn, it won't unravel your world. So when your boy gets put in the ambulance, you're like, how could you do this to me? When, when it's your turn for the doctor to go, hey man, we found a lump. You're not going, how could you do this for me? You're going, okay, thank you. I'll rejoice in even this. I'll rejoice in even this. And that's that part that really transcends. That's that part that confuses the world. Not when you rejoice that everything's great. When you rejoice when it goes bad. That's when they, I mean, that's when they get confused, which is a good kind of confusion. So, Awesome. Does this work yet? Oh. Oh. Let me see. What are practical ways single guys can spiritually or otherwise cultivate ladies? At the church. You, you want that to be your ministry, bro? <laughs> so what do you do at Epiphany? Well, I like to cultivate the single ladies. <laughs> um, here, I'll go with this one first. Go with this one first. How do we fight against the young reformed pride in our churches? Well, l- let me, part of it is just young. Like, there's an arrogance to youth. There just is, man. There's an arrogance to youth. Life has not got the chance to beat it out of them yet. It's just true, man. It's just an arrogance to youth, a boastfulness in youth that's everywhere. Like, even examples in my lifetime, like, when I was a kid, all worship was traditional worship. And then all of a sudden, like... It's like we discovered worship. Like when, like it was like 98 or something, everybody started playing the acoustic guitar and worship started becoming more contemporary away from the traditional model. And 20-year-old cats back then were like, this is real worship as if 2,000 years before them, men weren't worshiping. Dumb. But you know what happened before that? In the, in the 40s, post-World War II, they discovered this thing called Sunday school. They started doing this thing called Sunday school. And they were like, this is how you do it. And, I mean, there's just an arrogance to youth. So you've got to keep that in mind. Let me tell you how I do it. Uh, I constantly mock them from the stage. So if you podcast me, you'll hear me rant on these guys almost constantly. All right? 
Um, the second thing I do is I want to engage them in regards to their lives. And so where I see guy pick up the Calvinism flag, uh, I want to really get, engage them over mission. Are they on mission? Are they engaging? Where are they engaging? Where are they? Um, I, I, think, I think a lot of just arrogant, lost religious people hide in the Reformed community. I just really believe it. So I want to point out, hey, what do you, are, are you on mission in this? Are you on? And then I talk to a lot of guys about patience. Like if, if it's our belief, that God has to open the minds and the hearts of people, then if you've showed them in the scriptures the truths of God's sovereignty and they've rebelled against it, why are you going to keep beating them up with it if God has to open their minds and hearts to it? Why don't you ask questions and let them go study the word? Because see, my thing is, once we're in, once I've got somebody reading their Bible seriously, it's just a matter of time. Nobody's going to read the Bible and come away and think that man owns salvation. Nobody's going to do that. Now, they're going to have to wrestle. So, I, you know, my journey was, it, it took me seven years to full-on call myself reformed. First five years, just in intense study. The last two years, I knew it was right and just didn't like it. Right? So, how wicked would I be then to come in and demand that everybody believe like me now? without giving him the grace to wrestle, without giving him the grace to study, without giving him the grace to even figure out it's right and not like it for a while. So you've got to be gracious, slow. What we do at the village, I'm very honest out front of where we land on it. We tell people, you can join the church and not land there, but you can't ever teach contrary to this. So if you've already done your study and you land contrary, we're not the place for you. If, you, if this is just new to you, and you need to study, it sounds wrong because you watched Bruce Almighty and Morgan Freeman said everybody had free will, so now you're confused. Go study. Go study. And so that's how we combat it. That's how we combat it. All right. How do you cultivate a wife and family while having an Acts 2024 mentality? Um, well, what I want to do first is cultivate in my wife this mentality. So I, I want to, in my here, here's some of the things I did with Lauren early on. Lauren is, um, I am, we were blue collar, if not, didn't have a shirt growing up. Okay? Um, and so my first job was when I was 14, 15, McDonald's. Don't ever eat the fish filet. And, um, I mean, we were poor. And then I married a woman. So it, I, I wasn't scared in rough places, wasn't, I mean, it, it's just not where I grew up. My wife, upper middle class white wa- wife, for graduation got her second brand new car and a trip to Europe. So that's who I married. My old man shook my hand and said, August, you need to be out of my house. So we, I mean, we got two different worldviews, don't we? Like we, one of our first dating, one of our first little fights in dating is she, we were out having dinner and she wanted to order this dessert. And, and she was like, can I get that? I just didn't have it. And it, that wasn't the credit card error. So back in my day, you just, when you were out of money, you just were out of, you went home. When it was gone, you went home. And, and so, I guess you could write a hot check, but whatever. 
she wanted this dessert. I was like, baby, I don't, I don't have it. And she was like, but it's only $3. And I'm like, but I don't have $3. But it's only $3. Like, she just couldn't comprehend not having $3. All right? So that, that was the girl that, that I married. And, and so what, what I tried to cultivate in that is that God, God moves powerfully. See, I, I think the more affluent an area a, a, you get in, the more docile Christianity becomes. And then I'll even add this, more boring it becomes. So then it would, it's like this. Here's what, I, here's what I, here's my frustration in being in the suburbs. It's like everybody's always studying the playbook and they never get a chance to run any plays. That's the truth, man. Like, they know, all right, let the nations be glad. Let's go to the hard place. They love that idea. They've never been. So they espouse what they've never. So what I try to do is just start taking my girl to difficult places so she can watch God work in difficult places. And then, listen, you never be satisfied back just doing a Bethmore Bible study after you've seen God move in a powerful way. So I just started taking her with me. In fact, biggest stretch of faith, I took her and my two children to China for three weeks where I was going to be training house church pastors. So took them with me, 26 hours in the air. I don't know if you, China is not a kid-friendly country. There ain't, ain't, no, ain't no car seats. Aren't any, nobody gives you crayons at the restaurant. No, it's not a kid-friendly country. But we went in and she got to watch God do unbelievably powerful things while we were there. So now she's in. Now she's in. So that's how I cultivated it. I don't know what opportunities you have. Um, but I, I just always wanted to throw out the idea that God does big, miraculous, powerful, life-transforming things in difficult places. In fact, the more difficult the place, the more majestic and powerful the work of God usually. And so that's how I tried to cultivate that in her. In her. And then the other thing is, because uh, you, you also put family there, um, the reason I'll take my kids with me and the reason we've taken our kids with us on several times is because I just can't teach my kids well in, in the environment they're in. Like the suburbs are built to teach children life is about you. You know how many bouncy house things are around my house? Three. There are three. Every restaurant we have has a play area for kids. Every, like the entire burbs are set up to teach children the entire world's about you. I cannot teach my children about how the world really is where they are, so I have to take them with me. They have to go to China with me. They have to go to Guatemala with me. They have to go down into Dallas with me. They have to, my mother-in-law hates it. She's just so nervous. She's like, what if somebody steals them while they're in China? Unbelievably crucial. I don't know. I don't, listen, I, here, let, let me just say it this way. Everybody's a theologian, and it's that misunderstanding that creates so many heretics. Ah, theological people are theological. They're just wrong. So it's imperative that you know the Word of God, and it's imperative that you get into theology. So like the guy that views theology as being cold or dead or, and then gets up and preach, preaches is preaching theology. Just without a historic understanding of orthodoxy, he's in error. It is crucial. 
You can't not be a theologian. This is a weird new idea. You are a theologian. It just might be that your belief about God is fabricated without any biblical or... I'll say it. The funniest thing in the world, it's not funny, it's sad, is that people view theology and doctrine as somehow arrogant and despite the fact that it's a far more arrogant posture to go, uh, God works this way. What are you basing that on? I just know. No history, no scripture, no, just I, God wouldn't do that. What do you base that on? He just wouldn't. That's crazy because I got a lot of history and a lot of Bible that says different than you. Oh, that again? Yes. So the intake of theology in the pursuit of all things in regards to God is important. In all things. I don't think you can know the fullness of anything without digging into theology. All right? Um, And so let me, one of the arguments against this is on frontier missions. Like theology is bad if you get in the frontier. Like you go to China, you go to Africa, you go, theology can get really goofy out there. And so what people will do is they'll say, um, well, gospel seems to be doing fine in China. It seems to be blowing up in China without theology and doctrine. Every one of the church leaders I know, and we work with a pastor who's over 10 million Christians, all right? And he is begging us to come teach what? Doctrine. Doctrine. Send us doctrine. Send us books. Teach us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you'll think about it, in the book of John... People are trying to follow Jesus because of his miracles, because of his acts of power, and he won't let them, will he? He stops them. All right. Finding my purpose in the church hasn't been easy. What if my life role is not in the church? Is this possible? Um, I'm, I'm a little confused by the, by the question. Um, finding my purpose in the church hasn't been easy. What if my life role is not in the church? Is this possible? I don't, I don't know that I understand the question. I, it, your life role could very well be being an accountant and taking the gospel into the domain of accounting, but your base and the field by which you graze and the brothers that you war with and your accountability and the authority that you are to be under is the local church. If not, you're being disobedient. The idea that you can love Jesus and not the church is not a biblical idea. In fact, I believe it was Augustine that said, no man can have God as his father who does not have the church as his mother. Yeah. So I I, I don't think this is possible. I will say there are times where life dictates that you can't put 30 hours in up at the church. You can't lead big ministries in the church. But the covenant community that you are to belong to is the local church. There are those that say that's not not a biblical idea. Okay. The Bible clearly teaches that you are, as lay persons in the church, to be under elder authority. So who are the elders that you are listening to, obeying? Who is that covering for you? All, All elders everywhere? Like those clowns at Westboro in Kansas? You know those fools? They picket the soldiers' funerals. They're elders. Come on, I'll read it to you. You've got to submit to the elders. 
What about those 19-year-old Mormon elders that come to your house? Do they come to Philly? Are they scared of Philly? Not this part. Ride their bike fast. Go, go. They're just in the suburbs. <laughs> yeah, okay, they're elders. I saw it on their name badge. Elder Johnson. Do you have to listen to him? The Bible says you've got to submit to elders. Okay, so who, are, who is that covering on your life? So your life role in regards to the domain of society that you're engaging missionally might be outside of the church. In fact, for the bulk of us, it is. All right? Most of us, our lives are going to play out in um, business, education, government, right? Uh, agriculture. These are the domains of society. Our lives are going to play out. Life role is mission there. But the authority that we're under, the accountability that we're under, um, th- those things are the local church. So you, you, you're not going to be able to be outside of it. All right? I'm sorry, I didn't single that one out. All right. How does a man practically address not just spiritual but natural laziness? Um, here's how I'd tell you to do it because that's tough. Like if that's just your aptitude, all right? Um, like you were born with that. Like some guys, man, they're just born type A. I mean, they're just ready to go. Some guys aren't. Like my little boy, I don't think my little boy is going to be like me. I'm go, 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 go. My, um, my little boy is, I mean, he, he's sleeping through the night like at three weeks. And then took two naps a day until he was nearly three years old. Like he'd go to bed at eight, get up at nine, eat some cereal, get his blanket, go back upstairs. Like, where are you going? Where, where are you going? Going night, night, all right? Get up, eat lunch, watch some cartoons. You want to go out and play? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Get up. Go upstairs. Where are you going? Back nap. I got to take a nap, all right? Get up at 5, go to bed at 7. That's my little boy. We're going to have to help him. I, I think, can I, I'll throw this out. I know some of you might not like it. This goes honestly back to what you were saying last night, which was so helpful, that uh, rules help. That They help. Um, I want deep accountability in my life. Deep accountability. Take heed you stand lest you fall. So for 2009, I set out very detailed goals of what I wanted life to be um, with a lot of grace. But I set out rules, and I sent them to three men. And as of last week, I was being asked how I was doing on that. So, um, man, if I, if I could go grab my computer, I could read them to you. I could tell you what some of them are. Uh, I, needed to, I needed to eat better than I was eating. I just needed to. It affects my energy levels. I don't get to serve the Lord well if I'm eating a bunch of crap that makes me feel tired. So I got to clean up how I eat. Um, I, I needed to be more faithful to exercise. All right? I'm naturally gangly. There ain't enough creatine monohydrate on the planet to bulk me up, all right? It ain't happening. Deuce came out of the womb all yoked, all right? That ain't, I, I came out like a snake. They were like, oh, it's your boy, all right? Deuce came out with abs and pecs. It's like, here. That wasn't me. That's not how I came out, man. It's not how I came out. So I need to, I need to exercise because people look at me and uh, being thin and being in shape. That's what I'm trying to say. So I needed to exercise, take good care of my body. Let, let me give you another one. I wanted at least, at least three family devotionals a week. Well thought out, 
well-prepared family devotionals. I wanted at least three a week, all right? So sometimes I go beyond that. I don't want to ever go under that. Um, I've been invited by Crossway to write a book. I want to finish that book this year. Um, Anyway, I could could go on. There are several. There are several. Um, But I wrote those out, and then, can I tell you the biggest questions here? The biggest two questions I think you can ask yourself in regard to this issue is how and when. Here's what I mean. Everybody goes, I need to do that. But until you answer the question how and when, you ain't doing it. All right? You're just not. Ah, I need to memorize scripture. Okay, how and when? Because if you don't answer those two, you're not doing it. So on my goals were not just goals, but how and when. How I'm going to go about that, when I'm going to do that. In fact, on the book front, I turned in in January. Here's when the chapters should be finished. Here's the due dates. And then, man, I'm, I'm held accountable by those things. I got three guys that are Brian Miller, Josh Patterson, Michael Bleeker. Those guys are going, hey, right before I hopped on the plane here, Patterson called me and said, when, when and what did you do in regards to family devotionals this week? All right, here's what we did in Monday. Here's what, and I had to unpack it. All right? So I think that's one of the best things you can do is know what you're trying to do, where you are lazy, and then to get some good accountability and answer the questions how and when. I do not think it's enough for you to just write out a goal sheet and give it to your brother. Because what's he even going to ask? How and when is where he gets to ask. How and when is where he gets to ask. So let's be honest. You're not going to memorize scripture if you don't answer that question. You're not going to study the word. No one's just going to find the space to study the word. All right. I, this is when. This is how. This is what I'm using. This is what, anyway, hopefully that helps. Um, I would answer this question. At, at one level, I think it is because I've seen people who've never read the Bible who love Jesus very much. Um, always frontier. All right? And what I mean by that is in China, in Africa, in some of those places, there are people who have just heard, who have a deep love for the Lord, um, but don't really understand much outside of Christ died to pay for my sins and then anything else is, you know, think of Apollos. They had to sit down and explain it to him. All right? Um, But I, I think it's going to be difficult in our context to have a relationship with God with any real depth. Okay? Like, um, I'll I'll use this illustration. I know my wife very, very well. I do. Like, I know when something comes down the pike that I'm like, oh, that's going to be bad, or she's going to love that. All right? Um, and, And so my love for her grows as my understanding of what's really going on in her heart grows. So the more I understand the heart of and the mind of my wife, the more I love her. It's going to be very similar at some level to the Lord. The more you see his beauty. This is, this is what Corinthians says, that we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. How? By him revealing himself to us. Okay? I think there are special circumstances in the places in the world where the scriptures are not present, where Jesus... I mean, man, I met a guy... Uh, out of Sudan got saved because Jesus came to him in a dream. And, and he's legit. 
And so we went into India together. I'm teaching the Bible. People are coming up to me and going, hey, is it possible that uh, Jesus is just another definition of Krishna? And I'd be like, well, actually, the Bible teaches. Well, and in the middle of I'm breaking that down, he would just go, the Father tells me that your family will make it through this and will be okay. And then that cat would just start crying, and they would go off together. And I would be like, well, okay. The <laughs> next guy would come up. I would answer him biblically and be like, well, the Bible says, the Bible goes here, and then here's what the scriptures say. And then, the, and then he'd come back up and go, the Lord tells me six, the next six months will make up for the last six months. Boom, he'd start crying. They'd go off, minister. <laughs> and, and so I was a cessationist until I saw that. And I was like, okay, i got to do something with that because that's not the devil's work. The devil's not, I'm going to encourage this cat in the Lord. That's not the devil's work. And, and so I think, but, but always in those frontier places where I think you see that, this is not God's ideal. He gave you his word. The gospel has been pushed forward by the proclamation of the word. All right? And, and so this is not normative, but I do believe it. it's possible. But I think if you're asking that question to sell out on Bible study, this is the last one, then let me answer this one. Because courtship was, I mean, she just, she was all over me, man. She just loved me. <laughs> I'm, I'm so kidding, dude. I'm so kidding. It's true, man. Check it. Um, <laughs> my church is not addressing the issue of biblical manhood. How do I spur my pastor to move in this area? I'm a visitor today. Um, here's, here's the reality, I think, of almost any pastor. Um, I get from our people books constantly. Read this. Do the, read. The, I mean, everybody has this passion that they want me to take the church in. I mean, it's just the truth. It's just, hey, read this book about Israel. Hey, read this book about, um, oh, well, you know, even the Kirk Cameron thing from last night. How many times? I've got that book several times now. Way of the Master. Way of the Master. Way of the Master. Um, trying to think of other ones. Um, I, anyway, uh, it's all the time. I mean, uh, some people are always trying to Here's, the, here's how I think you can do it. Uh, I think you can be a champion for it by loving and supporting your pastor, by encouraging him, by praying for him, and by asking if there's any way you can help him in that regard. Like, I think at times when God shows you a place that your church is weak, he's showing you that place so that you might engage and lead. Not so that you might go to your pastor and tell him what he should be doing. You know? So that's, I mean, that's kind of been a staple of how I've run the village. When somebody comes to me and goes, you know what we need to be doing? I was like, it sounds like the Lord came to you on that one. <laughs> so the Lord is, I feel like the Lord saying to you, <laughs> for you to do that, and I'll support you as best I can. Or, you know, we already do that, and here's how we do that. And, and so... Be gracious to your pastors. These are confusing days to be a pastor. I guarantee you he gets a bulletin. He gets seven bulletins a day on some new conference, some new book, teach him how to do church better. So it's a complex world for those guys. I feel sorry for them. Gospel's so much simpler than we're making it. And anyway, anyway, anyway. So I, I, think, I, I think you can love him. You can encourage him. You can um, offer to help. You can, all of those things, all of those things. And um, that'd be that. All right. E, you want me to pray? How do you want me to close this out? All right. Good. Hey, thanks for letting me hang out with you guys today. I, I've loved it, man. I've loved being here.
Wow. Um, let's give God a hand praise for Matt one more time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really, really, um, really, many of us have been blessed by his ministry. And I think this time was really just for us to begin and, and to continue to process um, as we process as men, what does it look like to apply the gospel to biblical manhood? And not just apply it to biblical manhood, but our man that, that, that our manhood flows from the gospel. And so hopefully in, in a context like this and in a place like this, and knowing like, I, like, I like what Matt said, and we were in the back talking, and he was just talking about the fact that um, manhood is an epidemic globally. And um, there's a deep need for Christ to inform and empower um, and redeem a biblical understanding of manhood. So we're going to have several weekends like this where we're going to bring uh, people in as supplements to what God is already doing and kind of help jumpstart us in, um, in furthering um, our understanding of different areas, not just manhood, but especially manhood and the need for um, us to all be booming men, whether we're single or whether we're married. So I'm excited about where God has taken us, and I pray that we wouldn't be, especially cats that's under 30, just a, just a, just a bunch of snot-nosed, angry, arrogant men who know a lot of theology but don't have any uh, desire to see application happen. We're just going around snapping and arguing. But us to be men of depth, you know what I'm saying? Men of great, rich, biblical depth. Uh, uh, Colossians 3, uh, 15 talks about the fact that the word of God should what? Richly dwell in us. And so I'm hoping like some good uh, cheesecake factory chocolate cake with the layers. Y'all ever had that mud pie chocolate? You ever had the richness of that cake? Is rich, you know what I'm saying? I'm praying that our souls as men would be like that. Rich to where you have to wash it down with something because when somebody gets a little dose of what Christ is doing in us, that people have to wash it down with something because it's too much to handle what he's doing in us in just one swoop. And so I'm praying that that's what we become, and I'm praying that this weekend has been an impact on your life, and hopefully we'll see many more if Jesus doesn't come back and set up shop. Let's pray, close, linger if you want, chop if you want. Um, Matt will be here for a few minutes, then we're going to swoop him out of here and take him out of here today, and we'll see him tomorrow morning. Father, it's wonderful to know that manhood is your creation. Um, like, cats on the block didn't come up with manhood. Dudes in the movies, they didn't like make Manhood is nothing new. Um, it, you came up with manhood before the foundations of the world. Matter of fact, manhood... Man, you, you are the definer of manhood because you are the perpetuation of that. But then hum, human manhood was seen in Genesis 126, Lord, where you made us, you made uh, Adam male. And so, God, I pray in the name of Christ that through Christ that we would not be like the first Adam, um, but we would be like the second Adam. God, that... Um, because you're making manhood even better than you first created it through Christ. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to not be slothful punks, um, chilling, hands in our pants with a remote in our hand. But, God, I pray that our lives would reflect beautifully the gorgeous picture that Christ wants us to be chiseled in. Help us to submit to the chiseling process. Lord God, help us to take pains with these things. Help us, like Paul said, and in Colossians 1, 29, that this would be our toil, that we would toil out of the energy that comes from Christ. And so, God, I can't wait 
um, to see as we would begin to find our identity based on Colossians 3, 1 through 3, that we would find our identity where Christ is seated at your right hand. And God, help us to be blown away as we flesh it out practically, not just having highfalutin theological terminology, but God, that it would be ground floor, walking past trash, McDonald's, school, work, on the ground, pavement, Christianity. Help that manhood to show forth in um, every area of our lives. And Lord God, help the women to know what to look for because of our lives. Lord God, and help them to be challenged to more deep womanhood because of the caliber of men that you're raising up around this city and around the world. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Grace and peace, man.